Welcome, you're on Deep Background, the Kansas City Star's podcast about news and such. Uh, this is Scott Cannon. I'm a reporter at the Star, and today I'm joined by Mike Hendricks. Hey, Mike. How you doing, Scott? <laughs> Great. Good to have you here. Um, we want to talk a little bit about a story you wrote that ran in last Sunday's newspaper about sort of an overlooked risk that firefighters under are susceptible to, the risk of cancer. Correct. And what your reporting found that um, firefighters are at risk for a, whole, a higher level of risk for cancers than the general population. Yeah, there's a number of cancers. There's a, a, a study that came out in 2015. They looked at uh, 30,000 firefighters over a period of their careers at three large uh, fire departments that found that, uh, for instance, uh, firefighters are at twice the risk of getting testicular cancer as the general population. Uh, same with uh, methacelioma, the uh, cancer you get from breathing in asbestos. Uh, a whole host of other cancers as well. Uh, esophageal cancer, um, colon cancer. And and we think that, that basically what's happening is I'm going into a burning building, so whatever sort of toxins might exist in that building are released into the air, and I'm going to inhale them in some way. Inhale them or, or more likely absorb them. Through, uh, through you, my skin? Through your skin. Uh, you're, you're not, they're not inhaling them so much as when they're going into the fire because they do have self-contained breathing apparatus, air masks on. Essentially sort of like scuba gear in a way. Right, just uh, without the U for under, underwater. <laughs> it's the same thing, same principle. So they have that. Uh, they, they're, but um, these toxins do s- seep in around their, their face mask and they get around their cuffs and whatnot. They get on their gear. And, uh, and sometimes they do breathe it in uh, after the fire's over when they do the procedure known as overhaul, which is when you go and you're putting out the hot spots. A lot of times, uh, firefighters in the past, as soon as they were done with the, the major fire, they would first thing they would do is take off that mask and they go in and, and to put out the hot spots. Well, unseen are all these nasty gases, cyanide and all, a number of toxins that are being given off that these guys could, would breathe in. Do we know at what rate they're, they're more susceptible than the general population of these cancers? Or is that still work that scientists are trying to figure no, out? No, that's what they. That's what the study in 2015 did learn, is, is it came through and, and checked out. And yeah, but to what, what degree are they at a greater risk? Do we know that yet? Um, I guess I, I'm not quite under, sure how to answer that question, other than the fact that I know what the rates are. To what degree are they? They're at risk when they're exposed. And what they're trying to do is, is, to, is to alleviate some of that risk and one way they were exposed in the past uh, was uh, their gear, for instance, wouldn't ever get washed or rarely ever got washed. And sometimes they, they would keep it in their living quarters. Their gear they, they use uh, is either called turnout gear or bunker gear. One of the reasons they call it bunker gear was because they kept it by their bunk. So they could, in the middle of the night, the fire bell rang, they'd get that stuff on. Well, that's... That now we gear, know that's a, a bad place to keep a it. It's a very, the, most departments, uh, if not all, uh, require that it be kept out of the living area. Right. And one of the things you point out in the story is just the the amount of gear that you have available. So can I have a clean pair, a clean outfit when the dirty stuff is getting washed? And some firefighters may only have one set of bunker gear, right? Indeed. A lot of the smaller departments uh, only have one set of bunker gear. Bunker gear can cost a couple grand uh, a, a setup. And so if you're a small 
city that doesn't have much money, that can be a, a big uh, problem. Even a larger city, Kansas City, Kansas, for instance, the police chief, the fire chief, forgive me, told me that they only have one set of bunker gear, whereas over in Kansas City, Missouri, they've had two sets for many years. And I could even imagine where two sets might not be enough if, if the emergency calls are coming at a quick rate, right? Correct. And you don't just throw this stuff in your um, Maytag at home. Uh, it needs to go be washed. Uh, sometimes it was washed professionally, but oftentimes it's washed in a, um, uh, in a, what's called an extractor, which is one of those, it's basically a heavy-duty version of the heavy-duty washers you see at a laundromat. And those can cost like $8,000 a piece. Well, many departments do not have those either. For instance, Kansas City, Missouri, I believe, has 34 stations, but they only have, I think, 14 extractors. And that can be a hassle for a firefighter. Is a, the whole reason I got started on this story is a firefighter said that he didn't have a really easy way of getting his gear clean. He'd have to do it on his day off, and it, it would take a, you know, he'd have to drive across town to some other station. And so, therefore, because of that inconvenience, a lot of firefighters say, the heck with it, and they don't get it washed as often as they should. Okay. Well, stupid question is the, the need for these special wash, heavy-duty washing machines is because my bunker gear would ruin the household washing machine or because it, the household washing machine wouldn't do a thorough job of cleaning out? Uh, well, at least the, the second. Uh, I don't know if it would ruin it so much. It is heavy-duty stuff, uh, but it's also a, cross a risk of cross-contamination. So you leave that 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 those chemical residues in your drum of your washing machine okay. and then go put in your other clothing. It's not a good thing. All right. And and one of the, the hiccups here or the, or the friction points is getting compensation when these cancers arise. Today, it's basically the firefighter has to prove that I got my cancer from on-the-job duty. And there's a bill pending in the Missouri legislature that says, let's switch that, that, that argument that, that the burden of proof would then fall on the fire department, the employer, to prove that you got it from something other than the job. I, am I following that right? Yeah, there's about a uh, dozen states or so that, uh, that put that burden on the firefighter now. There are no real good numbers on the number of states. In fact, uh, the International Association of Firefighters listed Missouri and Kansas as being among the states that have so-called presumptive cancer legislation or, or uh, laws on the books, which is untrue uh, And when it comes to workers' compensation. They may have it in terms of pensions, but not workers' comp. And workers' comp is what pays in Missouri. If you are a factory worker and you're uh, killed in you know, some horrible accident, your spouse can go and to the Missouri workers' comp and get paid a lifetime benefit, weekly lifetime benefit, to, to, to make up for or partially make up for the wages. loss. Right. Yes. Uh, something like two-thirds or two-thirds or three-fourths of the salary. I can't remember exactly right now. Firefighter uh, right now who dies of cancer has to go and hire a lawyer and go through all kinds of hoops to try and get those benefits. Uh, right now, no one... And the presumption is on the firefighter to prove that the cancer was job-related. Correct. And the, the, the push from some firefighters group is to flip that burden of responsibility. Correct, because it's just so difficult to, to put together a case, an a individual person, a, a wife or a husband of someone who died, 
and say and put together this whole list of all the fires they've covered, uh, been to in, over their career and what they were exposed to. There is better record keeping on that now, but in the case of one widow I'm, I wrote about, her attorney is going through something like uh, 27 years worth of data to try and uh, uh, itemize how many calls this guy went out on and how often he it was exposed to 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 flames or to I mean, smoke. Um, on when when the burden is flipped to the employer, then it's it's incumbent upon the uh, employer to say, well, there, this guy, he was in the fire department for for 15 years and, and he got cancer, but beforehand he would, he worked this other job where he could have gotten the uh, methicillin. Or he was a smoker. Or he was a smoker. Or there there are risk factors in his family. Whatever they have to build a case. All right. And of course, cities are going to oppose that because their liability goes through the roof if you change that most equation, these, right? Well, most of these cities uh, to the roof, but they, uh, but most of these cities are self-insured, so this is money coming out of their budget. Right. They have the uh, they usually have a balloon policy they pay uh, for if they go over a certain amount, but yeah, it comes out of their budget, and and they're reluctant. However, in like thirty states, this this is the law. Federally, the one other thing I mentioned is there's a federal death benefit that uh, that Congress approves for 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 emergency responders. If you die in the line of duty, you're a police officer shot and you're killed in a fire, your family will get a one-time benefit of like three hundred forty thousand uh, dollars. If you die of cancer, unless you were on the pile at 9/11, you're not getting that benefit right now. Right. Let's get to 9/11 in just a minute. But in, in the sort of the cases you're describing where I get that one-time benefit, it's the, the, the most common way I, someone collects on that is a heart attack, right? That's the number one killer of firefighters? Correct. Um, yes. As long as I have that within a day of a training exercise or an emergency call. Right, within 24 hours. And this is uh, something called the Congress passed something called the Hometown Heroes Act about 12 years ago or so, which included that those folks, because there there is scientific proof or medical uh, belief that the firefighters are more susceptible to heart attacks. It's not just because they had too many pancakes. <laughs> oftentimes, it's because this is very stressful. And there's also there's unknown um, connection too between some of this exposure to, to chemicals we're talking about as well. Uh, like I mentioned, cyanide that can uh, kill, lead to a heart attack. And particularly maybe in a, in a, in a dose that, that wouldn't be lethal in another circumstance, but when it's combined with the physical exertion and the stress of responding to a, an emergency. Right. It's a very stressful situation. And so 9-11, the, the firefighters who responded to the World Trade Center, there was special federal legislation, right, that, that made them, them and their beneficiaries eligible for um, compensation. But that's very specific. I mean, that doesn't hold any sort of legal precedent otherwise, right? Right. It has no connection whatsoever to a um, firefighter in Kansas City or St. Louis or wherever who dies of cancer. Uh, to date, no claims have been, been approved for those sort of cases. But it might, the, the precedent might be valuable politically for the sort of efforts like we see in Missouri to, to change the rules on how we sort these things out. Correct. I think at some point uh, the... Uh, the International Association of Firefighters and others are pressing uh, for for that sort of coverage. They are uh, a bill was introduced recently for a, a national cancer registry for firefighters, 
in which they can are trying to build up the data to support that sort of coverage. Right. You, you wrote a, a, an expansive series last year about how, in some ways, the culture of firefighting puts people at risk, sometimes necessarily, unnecessarily. Um, but the impression I got from the story you wrote Sunday that on this issue, the cancer risk, that there has been a culture shift, that people do recognize that you need to clean off the gear, you need to clean yourself off, you need to store this stuff separately. Is that right, that there is a culture shift? They under It's a culture shift, but it's, it's been a gradual and, and just recent, really. Uh, a lot of these guys I talked to said that it's that when they came on, you know, in the last 20, 10, even 10 years ago, or 12 years ago, that it was still a badge of honor to wear dirty gear because that made it you know, look like you were a firefighting, like I said in the story, a firefighting son of a gun because yeah. you went out there and showed that you were a tough guy, you went to fires. Um, uh, there, as recently as just this past year, I was talking to um, uh, Chief John Paul Jones of the Kansas City, Kansas Fire Department, who said they were at a fire conference and uh, firefighters conference, and there was a vendor out there s- selling some sort of fire equipment, and the advertisement had a picture of a guy in dirty gear. And they went and talked to the person and wrote a, a letter of protest and said, look, you know, you need to change this. We don't need this kind of an image out there. And the vendor agreed to change their advertising. Well, that's interesting. And, and so on the scene, they also, I've gone in, I've knocked down this fire, Everything's taken care of. What's typical protocol at the scene in terms of do they hose each other down nowadays? Do they take the gear off before they jump back in the truck? How does that work? Well, uh, a lot of it was not written down uh, at a lot of departments until recently. Independence, Missouri, just recently uh, approved a uh, protocol. I think it's like 11 steps. Kansas City, Missouri is just rolling it out now. Uh, like I said, some of it was a, some of it they were doing before, but now what the protocol is is after a fire, they do do a, a gross detam- decontamination at the scene by hosing the, hosing down the gear. You're supposed to take that gear off and set it aside on the floor of the, the truck. Uh, and meanwhile, they're supposed to clean themselves off with wet wipes around their jaws, face, wrists, uh, armpits, groin area even where they are more susceptible to, uh, which absorbs the, absorbs the toxins faster. And uh, then they're supposed to go back to the station, take off their duty uniform, which is underneath there, you know, the T-shirt or whatever, wash, get a clean set of, of that, get a shower within an hour, they say, and set the gear aside for further um, cleaning. Well, you can imagine how that would be difficult to carry out in practice. It's it's 22 degrees out, and it's time to hose down. Well, or, you know, I, I've got some other, I, I, I'm hungry, and I want to, when I get back to the house, because I've just been working really hard. Well, that's it's incumbent upon your captain and your battalion chief uh, to, uh, to insist on it and set the example, I'm told. Uh, one other thing they do at the uh, Kansas City they're doing from now on is, in addition to this gear, this heavy gear they have on the heavy coat and boots and, and, and pants, they have a hood, a, fi- a heat-resistant, fire-resistant hood uh, uh, that they put over their, their heads by their mask. And those are... Sort of like a balclava? Yes. Okay. But those are 
they tend to get you know dirtier. They don't protect you as well from toxins as, as the bunker gear does. So they're trading out those, or they're beginning to trade those out at the scene after a fire. As soon as they're they're done with the fire, they're supposed to give their hood to the battalion chief, who gives them a clean one to take back with them. Okay. Because they might not get their bunker gear washed for you know a week. Right. So who would have thunken that uh, laundry is a an important part of firefighting and, and, and saving lives in a different way. Well, like I said, that's the whole reason I got started was somebody said we don't have enough basically washing machines at these at the, the firehouses. Then only to find out that that there's a lot of a lot of small departments out in Kansas, for instance, that that they just don't ever wash their gear except for by hosing it off. So the state of Kansas uh, started giving out grants this year for fire departments to buy these extractors. And on a basically a regional basis, they give it to a small, uh, small department in Harrington, Kansas, for instance. And that, in exchange, they have to promise to allow small other departments in their region to come and use their extractor. A lot of these guys don't have, you know, it's not like we're talking about a fire every day at, at a lot of these, a lot of these departments or even these stations. Suburban Kansas City, uh, you know, firefighters have plenty of time to get their gear clean usually. But if you're a busy at a busy firehouse in Northeast Kansas City that it's, it can be more difficult. Okay. All right. Well, with that discussion of life-saving laundry, um, we'll wrap things up. Mike, thanks for joining us on Deep Background. Happy to be deep backgrounding with you. All right. We hope you folks will continue to listen, subscribe, and give us a review. You've been on Deep Background. Mm-hmm.